Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, we're coming to you live from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, at Establishment Brewing Company with Mike Foniak. The master behind this whole operation, Mike, how are you? Uh, pretty good. I wouldn't really call myself a master uh, of, of anything, really, and, uh, and definitely um, not of brewing, because I think it's a lifelong learning lesson. But uh, that aside, uh, I'm happy to be on, on the podcast. Well, I would have said that up until you made Ghost Machine. And then you kind of brought your guys to another level, in my opinion, kind of bringing that limited availability kind of like what they do with a Pliny in, in California or they do with a Hedy in, in Vermont, you brought that to Calgary. Was that like the initial intention of doing all of these limited releases and doing it to that high of a quality? Um, I mean, first of all, thank you. And uh, uh, having uh, like our beer mentioned even in the same sentence as, as, uh, as epics uh, as those is, is honestly an honor. And I, I still... Uh, I'm not sure if I quite believe it, but okay, I'll take it. Uh, thanks so much. Um, but no, I think I think in general we're just uh, we're just trying to to make the best beer possible with you know the the limited amount of tank space we have, and that's just the reality of um, of these of these one-offs. Is you know we don't have a lot of tank space, and and we try to make as much as we can um, at a time, and that's that's kind of how it's played out, I guess. Yeah. You, you scratched the surface with Ghost Machine, you hit it out of the park with Float Along. That was your crowning achievement so far, in my opinion. That thing is harder to find than anything in this city, so congratulations on that, on that brew. Well, thank you, thank you. Well, I want to take you way back then. What was the original beer that you had that really changed your eyes and said, I, I want to do this? Um, you know, that's actually a really interesting question because it's almost like, it's almost like a culmination of, of a lot of different, like trying a lot of different beers and especially different beer styles. Like here at the establishment, we try not to really focus on one particular style or type of beer. We try to brew everything and try to introduce everybody to different flavors. And that's kind of how, uh, myself and my business partner, Dave, which, uh, a lot of credit goes to, goes to Dave, obviously, uh, he's awesome business partner, and uh, and he's got a great palate, and he's been homebrewing I think longer than I have originally, uh, which is about twelve years. Uh, it kind of just goes back to that exploration of all styles of beer, and and just learning, you know, about the history and learning about the flavors, and like kind of honing your palate in for uh, for all kinds of flavors and all kinds of balances. And I think uh, it's kind of hard to say if there's like one particular beer that you know, has inspired. Um, there's giants out there, obviously, that that are ahead of their game, I think, but um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of it's kind of hard to say if there's one particular beer. Like, we kind of pull, pull some, some ideas from, you know, classic German styles of beer, uh, you know, like sour beers from Cantillon, um, from, from Belgium, as well as, like, some, some new American breweries, and it all kind of culminates in in some of the experimental beers that we do here. And um, so it's kind of hard to say, really. Well, when you were starting out uh, doing your home brewing stuff, were you primarily focused on kits? Or were you just trying to find, like, recipes online and stuff like that and going that route? Yeah, I think, um, in, like, we started, I started with kits. I think I got in maybe, like, four or five kits. 
before I realized that that was very limiting, right? It's kind of like the beer's kind of already prepared for you and you're just fermenting it, which I later figured out that the most important part of any beer is actually the fermentation. So, um, you know, the brewer makes the wort, but it's the yeast that make the beer. Uh, but in general, um, yeah, it, it quickly moved on from kits and then the, the experimentation and the exploration of, of like being able to contr control all of your ingredients really like kind of took us to the next level. And, and uh, I spent about, you know, 11 years uh, homebrewing. And at one point, I started entering competitions across Canada and doing pretty well in them. And that's kind of when um, it started really pushing me where you're like kind of almost forced to try to brew outside of your comfort zone uh, in order to enter beers, you know, in styles that um, kind of are seldom seen or kind of are kind of forgotten by the wayside, like German Pilsners or maybe like a Lichtenhainer or something crazy like that. Like, let's try to brew that and enter in competition and, and see what happens. And it kind of pushed, pushed the envelope a little bit for me, I think. Yep. Were there any brews that you were originally doing back in your home brewing process that were so hard then, but you've mastered now? Have you brought any of those original recipes with you to this? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, first of all, again, I don't think I've mastered anything in brewing. It's like, there's, there's guys who have been doing this for like their entire life and they're still learning. So. I disagree, but... <laughs> okay, well, thank you, but... but uh, um, yeah, the, the Pilsner that we have, the German Pilsner, that was... Uh, that was a classic one for me. That recipe was all, just almost completely scaled up one-to-one. -one. The hops obviously have to change because the dynamics in the kettle, they change the bittering and all that stuff. So, but that's, you know, that recipe came with us. Uh, Dave actually had a really good recipe with a porter. He brought that in. We brewed that. It was great. Um, and then, honestly, uh, the rest has, has kind of changed. Uh, the dynamics of the system actually changed the flavors a little bit, so you have to, you have to tweak things. But in general... Um, in general, we try to try to brew to style. So it's you know when we're when we're brewing a German Pilsner, it's hopefully going to taste like a German Pilsner. And for brewing a New England IPA, hopefully that's going to be what we think a New England IPA should taste like. That's that that style is evolving so quickly, and that's kind of why we love brewing New England IPAs and like changing the recipes all the time on them because it's an evolving style that everybody has a, a different approach and that's what's so in interesting about it yep have you noticed uh that there's a particular flavor out there that you have yet to be able to like put it into a beer properly home brewing too now you know that's a really good question um i think there's there's some hop derived aromatics that uh are very hard to pinpoint and are very like brewery dependent but that's not to say that uh you know, there's any one particular aroma that I've been chasing for a really long time. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's all really dependent on, on ingredients. On, on the yeast side, I think, uh, I think Belgian beers are really tough to nail down because it's all fermentation. And to get, like, a really, really true classic Belgian character in, in the right balance, that's really hard. So I think, I think the yeast-derived the yeast aromatics are, in my opinion, the most challenging. Would you say that the yeast for the Belgians are harder than, than those with the sours? Um, I think in general, I, I would say almost yes. Uh, the, the mixed culture sour beer that we produce in barrels, are it's a little bit kind of out of our hands, right? And then it comes more down to blending. So if you have you know, a barrel that has a particular character that you'd like to showcase, you know, then you can find 
a, a similar barrel that has that particular character, and then you can amplify that by kind of connecting them together and blending together, or vice versa if you have an aroma that you might not be that might not be great on its own, um, you can blend that with another barrel. Uh, it's Dave, my business partner Dave has a really good saying about um, like the the mixed culture barrel age program is kind of like pushing a shopping cart with a broken wheel. You put you put all these mixed culture bugs in barrels and you wait eight months and you think you think you know where it's going, but the you know the uh, the wild yeast and the bacteria kind of have a mind of their own, and and that's kind of where the blending comes. But in general, so I think that this, this, the mixed culture sour beer, you have a little bit more control because of the blending. Whereas like, if you're doing a single tank of a Belgian beer, you only have one shot. It's hard to kind of blend to, to achieve a character. So it's really all about fermentation management, yeast, health, pitch rate, oxygen. It's, it's, uh, it's a very technical process. Um, and that beer is so focused on yeast expression and it's really hard as a brewer. Every every brewer knows that it, the fermentation is the hardest to control because you're you're li- you're working with living organisms, and you kind of you can set the stage for them, and then they kind of just go off on their own for the next week. And you can kind of try to coax them into into certain things by you know modifying temperature, pressure, and things like that. But yeah, I think I think Belgian beers are tricky. Did you notice that pitching the yeast was a little bit harder when you brought it to a bigger like building like this than it was when you were working out of your garage or basement? Yeah, absolutely. So I used to... Now, we're going to get into some pretty uh, geeky stuff here, but nice. Um, <laughs> definitely, on the homebrew level, I was growing up my own yeast. Like I kind of had like a yeast lab where I would have uh, agar slants, and I would grow single-cell cultures on them, and I could... Um, like I kind of had like a bank of, of yeast that uh, that I could work with, and if I needed to uh, like brew, you know, in two days, I could grow up from a single cell culture um, uh, enough yeast, and it would be like healthy, it would be viable, and on that scale, it's really easy to do that. On this scale, you know, where at home for a twenty liter batch, you would need maybe two hundred fifty milliliters of yeast slurry, which you could easily grow up in two days. Um, here you need more like, you know, 25 kilograms. So it's, you know, the scale is different and, uh, it's, it's a lot harder to do, to do those steps. So, uh, the majority of the time you're repitching or you're buying new cultures from a lab that's already grown it up and that there's, you know, there's lead times, availability issues and all those things you have to juggle. So yeah, it's definitely tricky. Well, what was it about beer and not another type of alcohol that really drew you to want to brew that as opposed to distill, let's say, whiskey? I think it's just my experience with beer throughout my lifetime. Um, uh, you know, my, my travels to Europe, I, I lived in Switzerland for a year and just beer was, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like kind of my experience with, with my family, drink, drinking the, the beer and exploring beer. Um, kind of just like, I just grew a love for beer at one point. It's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly when that happened, but uh, what I do like about it um, that um, uh, it's like it, it's so broad and there's so many different styles. Like you can have, you know, American light lager is a beer and then you can have a mixed culture barrel-aged beer that's heavily fruited, like a Cantillon, like Fufun or something like that, and you're like, those those two drinks are completely different, but they're still beer, and there's everything in between there and off to the side, and, and there's just so many opportunities. And 
And uh, that's what I li- really love about it. It's like the broad, historical, and also kind of the innovative aspect. And craft beer industry right now is moving so quickly. Like, there's new discoveries um, happening every week uh, from a scientific perspective. Like, I mean, hop creep is recent. You know, biotransformation, uh, thiols are really interesting in hops. Like, it's just, it's such a fast-paced, you know, constantly moving industry. And it's, it's super fun to be a part of and and uh another thing also it's kind of like homebrewing is just like such a fun do-it-yourself um environment and everybody the the community there is amazing like i um i think one of the the big reasons i stayed with with brewing is because of the community here especially in calgary the cowtown east wranglers homebrew club is just like unbelievable everyone's so friendly everyone's just like I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the social lubrication of, uh, <laughs> of the product itself uh, that may have a factor in that. But, uh, but it's just like, it's such a fun community. And, and the, same, the same can be said about the, craft, the actual craft beer community. The industry is like, you know, the annex next door. There's Cabin just down the street. You know, there's Outcast over there. There's uh, Born Colorado. Everybody's, everybody's a friend, right? Like, everyone is helping each other out. And it's just... I don't know. It's awesome. Well, speaking of that, when did you notice that Calgary was starting in on something special? Yeah, I think it was, um, man, it, it's an intersection of good brewing water, quality barley, and, uh, and I think there's just been such a vacuum in Alberta of, of locally made beer that when, you know, when the laws changed uh, to allow breweries to start up on a sm- smaller scale... Uh, that was like, what, six years ago, ten years ago? I don't even remember. Yeah, I think it was like eight. Yeah, eight, about eight years, yeah. Um, you know, I think there was like a, a kind of like a big explosion of, of people really getting into it, and, and uh, I think that was great. And I, I think that Alberta is like, um, has a really good kind of terroir for all of that. Like, like I mentioned, like the brewing water in Calgary is like second to none. It's, it's amazing. You can pretty much make any beer out of it with very minor tweaks to the water profile. Um, you know, we're not talking about, like, extremely uh, high sulfates or really hard water. Like, this is, it's, it's really good water to, to brew with. Uh, Alkalinity is maybe a little bit high, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers there. Uh, but it's, it's really, really good. So, uh, and then the, the locally made barley here is, like, phenomenal. Um, so it's just a really great place for, uh, for beer making and... And it, I think it was just kind of the laws that were holding it back for a little while. And so, it, like, it pulled a vacuum on the craft beer industry. And then all of a sudden, boom, it was like this huge, uh, huge explosion of, of uh, innovation, which is, like, great. Well, you are right here in the Barley Belt. Was it important for this to be the location? Or were you looking at other places around the city? We were definitely looking around. And, and this, we are very lucky to be able to find a spot here in the Barley Belt. Uh, especially being next door to Annex, which I respect. They're making really great beer. And, uh, and yeah, we're just, like, really lucky to have found the spot, honestly. Like, it, like, I don't know if I could have thought of a better spot. Yeah, it's, like, great. <laughs> well, I'm a skier myself, and I know that there's a great story behind the name. So can you take us through the name of, of establishment for us? Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, uh, basically, I was living in a house with, with a bunch of friends, uh, you know, we like outdoor sports and stuff like that. And uh, uh, I was on a ski trip with actually my other business partner, Brandon. 
were on a surf trip out on the coast and we found, uh, found a sign that said, the establishment, do not disturb. So we brought that back to the house and we started naming the house the establishment. And I was brewing with Brandon for, for a while now uh, and the flood came by and it completely destroyed the basement of this house that we were renting that we were calling the establishment. And we gutted the whole basement and I basically built like an entire like super, super tiny home brewery, but it took up the entire basement. And that's really when I took the dive into, uh, you know, competition brewing and, and uh, I got my uh, BJCP, which is like a beer just certification program uh, accreditation. And I just went down the rabbit hole and in the basement is kind of where, where, you know, the yeast lab and everything just kind of like started um, kind of getting crazy and, and all the exploration of the brewing. And then uh, eventually that house, you know, the landlord decided to, to bulldoze that house down. But that sign lived on. And when we, when we decided many years later to start a brewery, uh, we're like, what, what should we name this thing? And naturally that establishment kind of came to mind, right? So... And yeah, we're all, I'm a snowboarder. I like mountain biking. Uh, Brandon's an epic mountain, uh, s sorry, a snowboarder. He's actually getting into mountain biking now, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, so it's, it's been fun. Where were you at during the flood then? Uh, we, I was at the house. Were you? Yeah, and, the, and so I lost a lot of my brewing gear and I had to like evacuate. And I was like, no way I have to evacuate. Are you kidding me? It's not going to flood, and then next thing you know it, yeah. Well, we were at a concert downtown, and yeah, you, as soon as we came out, you could just hear the waves crashing against downtown, like against the bow, yeah. and all the cops were like, get the fuck out of downtown. It was it was the crazy, crazy night, so yeah, it's really shitty that you lost everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. It's like, it's, it's just, it's stuff, right? Like, no one got hurt, and at the end of the day, um, you know, we got a good story about it, and everybody's healthy and safe, so... Yeah. Well, I think you're doing one of the craziest brews right now in maybe North America, and that is I left my wallet in El Segundo. Mm -hmm. What brought about this brew? Uh, that brew was kind of a, just, it was just like a brainstorming session we had with uh, my assistant brewer here, Graham, and, uh, and Dave. We were just thinking of, um, you know, just, just like some ideas, like ins culinary inspirations, really. Um, like we have... Uh, Jamrock, which is like culinary inspired from uh, a blackberry vanilla cake. So we do a, the blackberry vanilla sour. And we're kind of like, I, I like to think about brewing a lot like cooking, where it's like a balance of flavors at the end of the day. And, and we kind of came up the, with the idea. It's like, man, grilled pineapple. You know, you get that tartness. You get a little bit of that smoke character. You get a little bit of that caramelization on that grilled pineapple. And it's like, that sounds like, something we could pull off because pineapple works really well in, in, in certain beers. And so we did a couple trial batches. And then at one point we were trying to, we're trying to do it as a Goza and it just wasn't quite working. And I was like, you know what? I have a good Lichtenheiner recipe. Um, why don't we just make a Lichtenheiner with pineapple? So Graham, um, Graham brewed a, a trial batch of that. And we're just like, he brought it in and we're just like, this is amazing. Like, let's do this. So Lichtenheiner, for those that don't know, it's like, uh, old historical style. It's a smoked sour beer, which sounds ridiculous because, like, mix smoked and sour. Uh, but the cool thing about Lichtenheiner is that it uses oak smoked wheat. Uh, most um, most Rauch beers or smoked beers in Germany use beechwood smoked malt, which is um, which kind of comes across a little bit bacony or like savory, kind of like meaty. Uh, the oak smoke comes across a little bit more like uh, like kind of like a like a 
a smoldering campfire. It's just like a gentle smoke. It's not really super savory. And, it, and we thought that that would lend itself really well to, uh, to create a flavor that was reminiscent of, of roasted pineapples with that pineapple there. Yeah, so I don't know. It was, a, it was a super fun experiment. And I think a lot of people received it extremely well. A lot of people were initially scared to try it because smoked beers are like the most polarizing thing in the brewing industry, I think. But uh, I'm, I'm happy that... Uh, uh, you know, that, that people liked it. Yeah. Well, what awards have you guys won? I, well, let's take it all the way back. What, what homebrewing awards did you originally win? And then what have you subsequently won now? In the homebrewing, in my homebrewing career, uh, qu- quite a bit of medals. I was, I was going for uh, homebrewer of the year in Canada and I got second place. That was my best, my best showing. Yeah. It was, it was super exciting. I was really proud of that. And, um, and the year before that, I think I got like 8th or 10th. And then the year before that, I was like 15th or something like that. So I was really trying to go for that number one spot. Um, and it was a crazy ride. So a, a lot of medals were won along the way um, with uh, homebrew competitions across Canada. And all the major centers basically have one every month kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So there's about 12 in a year. Uh, or maybe there's like 10. Anyway, and then, yeah, so subsequently... Actually, Dave has won a lot of awards as well as a home brewer. He entered a lot of competitions, and he's a, a really solid brewer, and he's got a really solid palate. He's also a BJC certified judge, so uh, it's really easy to, like, talk on the same level. Like, we, we, you know, we have our priorities, and it's beer, right? <laughs> um, and we have, like, we share, like, that intense love of beer, so uh, the decision-making around here is pretty easy. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, but uh, subsequently, as... A professional brewer through the establishment. Um, yeah, we won some awards. We got uh, best IPA in Alberta last year uh, at the Alberta Awards. Uh, we we've won a few medals with our Kolsch. Um, we ha- I think we got bronze for Imperial IPA with Ghost Machine. Um, yeah, Skyrocket is the one that won gold. Skyrocket five. Uh, that's an interesting. Uh, that's actually an interesting. New England IPA series that we're doing. We're just we're changing the recipe every every time we we you know we change the number on Skyrocket. So we've done five so far. The recipe is completely different, and and the technical approach to to the brewing is is different. So we're trying new techniques. You know we're we're trying to research uh, all of the newest the newest scientific stuff that's coming out. You know on like biotransformation or hop thiols and trying to put that into into use to try to make the best New England IPA. So Skyrocket five did really well. Um, and actually, our first year, right when we opened, we got um, we got a medal for our, our barrel-aged Brett beer, which was insane because it was the first barrel-aged Brett beer we released, and that got a Canadian a Canadian uh, medal. I think it was a silver. So yeah, it's it's been great. Like a lot of accolades, which is which is really nice to see uh, for such a, a young brewery. And uh, hopefully, it continues. Yeah, hopefully more soon. Yeah. How hard is it to get hops in this province? Uh, you know, honestly, it's, it's not so bad. Uh, certain varieties are harder than others, obviously, like Nelson Sauvin or something crazy like that. But, uh, yeah, in general, it's, it's not that bad. The, the, the supply chain here has really grown, and, and there's, there's a warehouse. There's, like a, there's two warehouses in Calgary, essentially, that provide almost all the ingredients you'd ever want. It's, so it's pretty easy. Yep. Is there any particular hop that you've always wanted to work with, but you just can't get your hands on yet? Um, it's tricky to find certain varieties, but like we're we're relatively small, and at the scale that we're at, it's it's generally 
if you if you want to make a batch or two uh, using you know a particular hop that's that's hard to locate it it's not that it's not that hard to find the quantities that we're using here yeah well what can we expect from you coming up um Continuing, you know, with the Skyrocket series, so we're going to continue uh, making uh, different variations of the Skyrocket uh, New England IPA. We've actually got uh, another Imperial New England IPA launching tomorrow, uh, which is I'm super excited about. So that's, you know, there's Ghost Machine, there's Float Along, and then this next one that's coming out. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah I'm excited too. <laughs> it's, it's pretty tasty. And uh, we're going to continue just playing around with you know, with uh, kind of pushing the limits of what uh, of what people can expect from beer, both stylistically and technically, and you know that's that's what keeps us going. That's why homebrewing was fun for me personally, um, was to try to kind of push the limits and, and see where that is, but also uh, respecting you know those more delicate styles, like a, a simple Kolsch, a well-brewed Kolsch is just like unbelievably drinkable, and we really want to bring that like that love of simplicity of, of the balance of the ingredients as well as kind of pushing the limit and doing crazy stuff, both at the same time. Well, when you're doing, like, those simplistic beers, are you trying your hardest to go by those original beer laws set out? I, I think that's generally important. I'm not, like, a big Ryan Heitzkebutt guy where, you know, you have to only use four ingredients. Like, in, essentially, beer is four ingredients, but, like, if you're making a Belgian beer, you're going to add sugar to it to help it dry out. So, you know, you, you can break the law there. So I... I'm not like a huge Ryan Heitzkebach guy, but yeah, in general, if you're making a, a Pilsner, you really only need, you know, water, barley, hops, and yeast. Like, that's pretty much it. And, um, and I, I try to brew, you know, true to style as much as possible when, when we're making those stylistic, stylistically accurate beers. I think that's important. Um, it's a little bit, you know, and, and I almost kind of like, like to think about it like it's... You know, the, the simple beers are almost, like, the hardest to make because there's so little to hide behind. Like, there's so little ingredients and so, and so little, like, flavor to hide behind. And, and it's funny when you talk to brewers, everyone's always, like, they, they, you know, a brewer will come to a brewery and they'll be, like, I'll have your lager first just to see, you know, how well <laughs> the brewery can produce a beer that's, that's so subtle. So that's kind of fun. Um, and I, I think there's, there's a beauty in, in, the, uh, in the subtlety and the balance of those flavors. And I, I really respect those styles, and that's why we love brewing them here. Um, but then that said, it's also really fun to just push the limits and see how much fruit you can fit in a beer. <laughs> <laughs> or see how many hops you can fit in a beer, you know? So that's, it's all good fun. Left Your Wallet in El Segundo brings in kind of the music connection. How much does music play into all of your guys' brewing? Is it always playing? Is it always like an inspiration behind the names, even the flavors? Yeah, I, th I think definitely the, the names. Like, we all love to listen to music here. We usually have some kind of eclectic playlist going on, and no one really has like a particular style of music that they're like, oh, this is all we listen to. Um, and I think uh, music was always a big part of, you know, the original establishment where we lived. We always had the vinyl player going and we always went to, you know, Sloth Records or something like that and bought like whatever uh, kind of new records that were happening or maybe some old ones. And I don't know, music has just always been a part of my life and, and, uh, and it's all, like, I hope everybody's life because it's, you know, kind of ubiquitous, it's music. But yeah, we, we, love, we love to bring, um, bring musical references into the names and it's just, it's just fun. And, uh, I mean, left my wallet in El Segundo, you know, it's, it's a reference to, 
uh, you know, like Mexico and, and, and California and that the, kind of that Mexican influence. And, um, and that beer was also kind of like inspired by, um, uh, it, it was kind of Graham's idea about behind um, uh, like a Mexican cocktail that he had that was like a, a mezcal, uh, mezcal-based pineapple drink. Right, so there's like a little bit of smoky character, and we're just like, oh, that makes so much sense—the culinary inspiration, and then the the musical reference that kind of had that Mexican influence. Uh, I mean, TCQ is just an amazing band. Like, who doesn't like Tribe Called Quest? Like, it's amazing. So I don't know, it just all kind of fit together, and we, we don't we don't really start at one particular spot. Like, usually it's the beer, like the beer gets inspired first, and then the name kind of like slowly as we're kind of like you know, devising this idea behind the beer, it's like, that that song, that's the song. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how it works. It's going to be like picking your favorite child, mm-hmm. but I have to ask, what is your favorite beer that you've ever, that you've ever created? Oh, man. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really tough question. Uh, right now, I'm really digging... What am I digging right now? Oh man, I've actually been drinking a lot of the Kolsch. It's so good, but uh, you know, honestly, I, like I honestly can't. I can't say. Uh, I can't really pick one out that I think is particularly, you know, above the rest. Um, I'm really excited about how the hoppy ones are coming out. Some of the barrel aged ones that are still aging. I'm really, really, really excited about. We've uh, we've been doing kind of some lambic style like turbid mash beers with some aged hops that we're aging right now. They're about a year and a half in the barrel. Uh, one in particular, that's a year and a half. The other ones are about, I don't know, about a year, and they are tasting freaking awesome, and I just can't wait to just hammer them with fruit. When do you think you're going to tap those? Uh, that is, so with, with the Mixed Culture Barrel Program, these beers kind of have, like I mentioned, they kind of have a mind of their own, and uh, as a brewer, you kind of look at a few items. So you're like, first of all, it's flavor development. You know, so you have to wait until that flavor is there. Uh, but more importantly, from a t- technical perspective, um, and that flavor kind of evolves. Sorry, I'm kind of backtracking. But that flavor kind of evolves because the mixed cultures are constantly, you know, changing, uh, you know, taking the acids and esterifying them into, like, fruity esters. They're constantly... Um, changing the beer so there's different bacteria that's like uh blooming at different times and there's different wild yeast that's active during the, the the entire you know two years or whatever they're in barrels and so it's constantly evolving you kind of have to watch that but overall from a technical perspective you really have to look at uh that there is no sugars left so you have to wait until all the sugars are fermented before you put it in a bottle otherwise it's going to continue fermenting in the bottle and you can have like overcarbonated beer and exploding bottles and things like that so it's really hard to say. At this point, um, they still have a little bit of time. <laughs> but it's, I, can't, I can't say if that's six months. I can't say if that's four months. We just have to keep monitoring and then watch for that, watch for both of those things, flavor development and, uh, and attenuation. How have you noticed the uptick in untapped to help out your business? Have you been noticing a lot of people coming here because of that app? Uh, I don't. I don't know, honestly, if that's a big driver for traffic into the tap room. personally. Uh, I don't know if there's really any metrics to, to prove that's the case. Uh, but, yeah, Untapped is a funny place. 
<laughs> do, do you kind of have like a love hate relationship with I mean, it? I I think I think it's honestly great. It's 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 a great app to you know to introduce people to new beers, and it's it's just a fun it's a fun place to you know some people use it to track their their beers what they've had before, but uh, it, it I, I always I always get a little bit sad when you when you never you never really see a pilsner getting a score above or rarely do you ever see like a lager scoring above four, even though it, it could be the best lager ever made. Like imagine you made the best Pilsner and it is literally the best Pilsner ever made. It's, it's hard to score over, you know, four. It was funny for a while there that, um, at a belching beaver, the, um, Mexican lager that they did in collaboration with the Deftones. Yeah. 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 That thing had a 4.3 for that's a very great. short amount of time. That's amazing. I was shocked that a logger got that high yeah, on awesome. there. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I love that. I love to see you love to see it. And then but it's, you know, it, it's it's bold bold flavors and and larger alcohol beers that typically score her. And honestly, it's like I get it. It's, you know, the craft beer market is looking for those those kind of innovative styles, uh, those bolder flavors, and it's fine. So I I think I think it's a yeah, definitely a love-hate relationship. Okay, well, what do, you, what do you think that Albertans... What, what is the taste palette of Albertans craving the most? Oh, man. I have no idea. Or what have you noticed? Just, yeah. just people talking or recommendations that you've got or just overall reviews of somebody sitting over here at the bar. Yeah. What have you noticed that, that the taste palettes of this province want? Um, I think it's honestly very eclectic. Like, just different people have different styles. And and different people have... Everyone's got a different palate. Like, you can give, you know, an, like this this particular IPA to, you know, 10 different people, and everybody's going to smell different things. Someone's going to get, like, oh, I get, like, tomato plants. I get, I get dank onion. And other people are like, this is beer tropical. What the heck's wrong with you? And that's kind of what's really fun about beer. So it's like... Um, and I think that's... I, th- I think... Uh, the market here is a lot more educated than a lot of people give it credit. I think the beer drinker is really, uh, really savvy now, and 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 I, some of the some of the comments I hear in the tap room are like, you know, honestly, it's like, yeah, that is, you nailed it. Like that's some really good commentary. And I think you know, five years ago, even like two years ago, that was a lot different. Um, so it's it's really hard to say. I think I think people like different styles. Some people have a preference for a particular style, but in general, you know, the hoppy beers and the sours um, typically sell maybe a little bit better, uh, and maybe that's because the craft beer, the, you know, kind of the craft beer consumer is looking for those more bold flavors. Um, but in general, um, yeah, I don't know. People people love the lagers too, like the brewers definitely do. <laughs> How do you feel about like the bigger, older companies buying out the little guys right now, but still letting them keep a, a lot of the creative control going? Yeah. Do, um, do you think this is a good thing, or do you think that <laughs> they should just kind of let it be? I, I generally think that it's, it's not a positive thing for, for locally owned craft beer, for independent craft producers. Uh, in general, I, I just don't, don't think it's good. Um, we, we, we could go on, you know, we could literally have an entire discussion just on that. But uh, I think it's, it's hard to say this is such a small, it's such a young industry here in Canada, especially in Alberta. And it's, it's easy really to jump to conclusions. But looking into the States where it's a more mature market, you can see what happens there when, when you know, uh, multinational companies buy out small breweries. 
and it's not pretty. So if you look at, you know, across the, st across the border and you can kind of pull from some of the, uh, some of the, the lessons that they've learned from that, I would generally say that it's not a positive thing for the, for the independent craft producers. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to uh, speak to me. I hope everybody comes and checks out establishment, especially when the pandemic is ended and not only Canadians can get in here, but the world can get back in here. And uh, yeah, just please keep up the good work. You're making some of the best stuff in Canada. Awesome. Thanks so much. I really appreciate uh, uh, the, the praise, of course, and, and thanks for having me. It's been a slice. Thank you for listening. Next time you're in Calgary, make sure you head down to Establishment Brewing Company. And if you're in Calgary right now, the launch of the incredible Social Candy, the brand new Imperial New England IPA, is absolutely a must-have. It's going to sell out quickly, so make sure you run to your stores now or run to the brewery. And this concludes our broadcast day.